This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Joining me for the first time, I think it's the first time she's ever been on my show, which is, I don't know what has happened over the last seven plus years for her not to be here, but she's here now. You know, it's not, it's not when you show up, it's what you do when you do. She's a broadcast journalist. Um, You've seen her in a lot of different spaces, including right here on Sirius XM. She also has been a frequent uh, contributor to MSNBC and other spots and other places. Let me welcome to the show attorney extraordinaire too. I believe she's an attorney. We'll get into that. Nayara Huck. Welcome. Nayara. It's so good to be with you. Your internet it's is so shaky you, as f. You You're welcome. Are you in New what? York? Because they got yes. It just it just broke up. It just broke up a little bit. <laughs> all right, listen. That's all right. I know you got a box. We might need to plug into the box because I want to get into this conversation with you. Um, you were on. Were you on Black News Network? Were you on that Black News Network? So this over here used to be the Black News Channel studio that had oh. to get taken down. So yeah, it's still all the storage of the stuff as they go through bankruptcy and figure out what they're really doing. All that studio stuff is still right here. Okay. So did you read that Byron Allen? It's Thrive Thursday. So, you know, our, our all of our favorite billionaire, our, our favorite billionaire who, I'm, listen, I know he's probably going to call and threaten to take my job again because I'm talking about him. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like, you know, we, 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 um, will lean into someone when they do something that we like, even if maybe the core of it is selfish, but two things can be true. You could do something for selfish gains that benefit everyone. You know, that, that, that is, that, that could be the way, like Henry Ford, a horrible individual, selfish individual who, you know, might've done some good as well. Two things can be true. Right. So it looks like he's, uh, purchased, uh, Black News Network out of bankruptcy for $11 million, which I think is a steal. Uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe not. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have thoughts and would you go back? Oh, so many thoughts. Um, listen, the, the whole bankruptcy declaration was so abrupt and poorly handled. Um, the fact that at the same time, CNN Plus uh, decided to pull the plug, they were $9 million a day of what they were spending. Uh, one day of that would have kept BNC going for five years, right? Um, but they managed to give all of their people not only severance and an opportunity to find a job in Time Warner, they gave them a full year of health insurance. Meanwhile, everybody on staff uh, who was talent or behind the scenes is still fighting for the paycheck for work we already did. Forget about contracts. But like literally the, the work we already did to get paid for that. So um, that was very poorly handled um, by the original BNC entity and investors. And so I think there is something to be said for somebody like Byron Allen, who has had the experience, who is a believer in black owned media and what that means and what that should be done uh, coming in. And as he builds out the Grio, uh, Grio TV you know, potentially adding in these assets of doing cable. I, I appreciated that he did also uh, in his statements about the acquisition of BNC, did talk about uh, how the cable industry writ large or not, not the, the telecom industry, right? The people who actually provide the service of cable still have a lot of reckoning to do on diversity and acknowledging what it means to provide, like actually pay I mean, Fox News gets like a dollar, right, for every uh, for ev every subscription, um, as opposed to like, the carrier fees, and they were not willing to give BNC much of anything. Um, 
But there's so, I mean, there's just so much to unpack with VNC. The part that really broke my heart, separate from my losing my job, uh, was seeing the promise of uh, a newsroom that was majority black, people of color, and the young people who picked up their jobs and moved for that idealism, for that comfort of language and shared experience, and to see them have the rub pulled out from under them, executives not knowing what's going on to be able to guide them better, and really leaving a scramble of more than 300 journalists and broadcast professionals trying to find work. Um, when we saw that these, you know, uh, these other networks were able to do that, right? Like BuzzFeed was winding down their news division, and they gave people severance. So it really was like pouring salt on the wound. And I, I, I'm glad to see the people who have moved on, uh, who are still contributing uh, as Black journalists in media. But it's, uh, you know, it still hurts. It still hurts. I have so many thoughts, but I, you know, um, I appreciate, first of all, the the way I appreciate Tyler Perry, I appreciate Byron Allen in the exact same way, um, who owns the Weather Channel and, of course, 27 local TV stations in 21 markets. He bought the Griot. He also has a stake in comedy.tv. Actually, he owns that as well. Uh, BNC was in 49 million homes, which was amazing, you know, because we were just talking yesterday about Tyler Perry moving away from, B from BET Plus because it's not in enough uh, households for it to be super viable for him, even though it was a $150 million deal. Most of us would be like, yay. But, you know, for Tyler Perry, that's, you know, a tic-tac in a whale's mouth to uh, quote a comedian, famous comedian. Um, so you, you know, um, and I appreciate people like you and uh, Mark Lamont Hill and Charles Blow and other really, um, you know, solid journalists, people who care about justice and truth, um, putting their their names and reputations behind bnc i feel however that cable news as a as a business should die mm -hmm. and here's why because it's you know it's rinse and repeat every everything's breaking news and it's not informing it is engaging in the algorithm game that got us to a place where we could have a donald trump as president where we're outraged by everything and things are and, and you guys actually did some stories that other people weren't doing so to the credit of bnc you were actually reporting on things most of these cable outlets weren't doing but a blackface version of something that already is not working for the majority of americans when you talk about the highest rated show is fucker carlson with maybe four million maybe on a good night, 3.5 million and a 320 something million of us, let's say a hundred million of us has have cable. That's not a lot of people tuning in. So you're then using that content to inspire and engender emotion on, on these TikTok and social media platforms, but people are more divided than we've ever been. And I'm blaming the way in which we get our news. I got my news every night, 6 PM from Walter Cronkite, somebody that my father trusted, you know, some looked at David Brinkley, just equally as trusted. Later on, Tom Brokaw. We knew that we were getting our news from people who were not in it for the, you know, they, they weren't in it for an angle or money or what have you. And it was the news that everybody, we okay, there's a war. This Kennedy got shot. You know, uh, Nixon resigned. It was like universal. We all agreed. It was no, like, alternate facts. And I don't know if we can ever get back to a place where there's universal news that we can all agree with, you know, but I sure would love to see that. It's so interesting to see that the amount of time 
I will say black and brown people, because I don't love the term people of color, because I think it flattens a lot of the, the diversity of the experience. Um, but to see people who are not white uh, try to chase after the thing and breaking into the space that we've always known versus finding the opportunities for what's new and what can really tap into a, a rising audience, right? Like the innovation ahead of the curve. And I, and I say that in that cable news, the majority of viewers are 60 years and older, but your millennials and Gen Z make up 30% of the voting electorate. Right. So like, how, how do you square a continued investment in an industry that is dying and the rising majority, which by 2040 will be all shades of black and brown? Um, how do you square that? And they, they spend the majority of time, 75% uh, of people who are under the age of 40 game for at least an hour a day. They watch live news for maybe 15 minutes. Right, everything else, they spend more time on social media, all these other channels. I mean, it is, it is, all of it is changing, yet our power structures have not accommodated for that. And so that was part of what I found interesting about, I guess now we're calling it an experiment, that was the Black News Channel, was the idea of, you know, can you take cable and use that as an opportunity to tell more nuanced, different stories in journalism, uh, perhaps attract a younger audience that was turned away from other mainstream cable. Um, we did pull in from what I saw of the metrics. We did pull in um, young, younger, educated uh, black viewers who I think was like the range was like more 35 to 50. So that is still better than most of cable. But I'm with you like this. It's stop investing in what doesn't work. Right. And, and build the and, and go with what not only is working, but where the future is going. And that that goes for the Democratic Party, too. Right. Like invest in those voters, invest in those audiences and those consumers. As you're talking, I'm thinking Diesel, Diesel and Mero, uh, they're breaking up, but they had a huge following. I'm thinking about the Breakfast Club, Charlemagne. Charlemagne has, a, you know, it's like there are people that have figured this out. They just don't have the. I'm going to say it, y'all, at me. Please at me, please. 866-801-8255. They don't have the acumen, the scholarship, the experience, the wisdom, the 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 heart for our people, for freedom and justice. They are, you know, to, to sit in those seats, but they command a large audience, right? They're able to command a large audience tapping into that very thing that you're talking about there. So, yeah, I'm... I sit in this space every day and I imagine a world that I want to live in. And mm. I imagine a world where people are working together to build community. Uh, Cause it's, it's really not difficult. It's so easy to tear stuff down, but it's actually not hard to build when we have a common shared goal. We don't have to agree, but we got to have a common goal. Um, and I, and I'm disappointed that sometimes the power, the power levers are in hands that are by and large, very self-centered, not community centered. And it's good. Yes, they know the game. They know how to play the game, but the game is rigged. And it's time for us to pull out an awari board. I'm tired of playing chess. That's everybody dies except the king at the end. No, let's play a game where we can seed and feed and then leave our opponent with a way to eat. Let's do that. If we're going to win, everyone should win, right? That's how I feel about it. That, that whole uh, rising tides, lift all boats. And it's it's not it's not easy to put in practice. I think kids do a great job of it. And then somewhere in junior high, everything gets messed up. Uh, and then, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you've had some experiences along the way that show you, uh, like I did, that um, the world is bigger, better, and uh, there there's 
more opportunity in expanding the table than there is in shrinking it, right? The, the idea that civil rights, human rights, it's not like pie, it ain't gonna run out. You can actually give enough to other people, uh, but we live, as we talk about this polarized environment, we're living in this moment where people think them not being able to do everything they want is somehow they're being oppressed, <laughs> right? Like I, I just, just ask you to not, not get everything that you demand instantly, really like that, that would be progress. If you just kind of step back for a second, but that, you know, that, that acknowledgement of other people and their lived experiences turns into suddenly a, you know, it, it, the equivalent of oppression, which is, which is just bonkers to me, but yeah, you know, apparently, you know, all this, all this ish wasn't solved. Uh, by my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation. So, you know, I'm an older millennial with young kids. And I, yes, I think about the world that I want them to live in because I'm not convinced that the world I want to live in is going to happen anytime soon. All right. Well, I think it can happen. I'm going to help usher it in because I'm faithful like that. Let me ask you, um, Nayera, N-A-Y-Y-E-R-A. Uh, you can follow her at N-A-Y-Y-E-R-O. A-R for Roar. I guess you're roaring. I love it. Um, well, thank you because Karen, I don't know who that person is who is at Nayara, but she like hasn't tweeted in five years. I'm like, but take, give, give up the handle. Anyhow. Yeah, she, she probably just knew. She knew you were going to blow up. And she said, I'm going to wait till she get to a million followers and then I'm going to ask her for a lot of money. Uh, at question, where, where are you from? Who are your people? You you know, and, and how'd you get radicalized? Because I, I know that you're Pakistani. Did, did I say that right? Is it Pakistan? Yeah. Yes. Um, I love that you said it like that. Like, who are your people? Because that is actually so. My parents grew up in Pakistan, came here in the 70s. Um, classic, like during the uh, Vietnam War shortage of certain workers came in uh, and they settled um, on Staten Island, New York. Because they're like, oh, cheap houses, nice neighborhoods. Not necessarily realizing that Staten Island, New York is where all, uh, you know, culturally it's the precedent for Trump country. It's a very interesting dynamic growing up of my parents making sure I knew how to speak uh, the language of uh, the people of Pakistan and India. So it's a very common language across the subcontinent. What is the language? uh, It's called Urdu. 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 U-R-D-U. It's called Urdu. Uh, And I speak, read, and write that a very comfortable in a lot of the cultural traditions. And my, my mom used to say, I want to raise you with the best of both worlds. And I think somewhere along the way, maybe it was high school, you start to realize that um, you also get some of the worst of both worlds and you have to unpack all of that and and deal with that. And some of the worst of both worlds is uh, the really entrenched colorism that uh, then translates into racism in the United States. And, you know, I grew up around a bunch of cops kids and firemen's kids and uh, it's the stuff that I heard would not surprise. Tell, I tell think- us, tell us something. Cause I feel like, you know, um, I grew up in an all black neighborhood, so we didn't have any white people. So I didn't have any, um, really anti blackness until I got to high school, but by then it was too late. I already mm-hmm. <laughs> was, was very clear about my power and my worth and value. Uh, because everybody in my neighborhood was, mm-hmm. you know, not just overly mobile. We were dope you know, in East Orange, very dope, um, in a good way. So, you know, for you being plopped into this bastion of good Irish, you know, Polish, German, you know, it's like, uh, it's not just Trump land, you know, before Trump, I'm, I'm reading this book, listening to this book, Gangsters versus Nazis. 
and you you know that the German Nazis settled in Yorkville, which is the Upper East Side of Manhattan, parts of Jersey, like Irvington, Irvington, New Jersey, and Staten Island, like Long Island. You know, so there's this. You know, Trump is is an iteration of this 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 thing never left. It didn't it's, leave. It's, some, it's 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 an iteration of something deeply American that was yes. baked into the system as it was set up. And like right, so all the originalist conversations, like yeah, you, you just want white men to have all the power again. Like let's just just say it. That's what you're that's what you're saying by saying, well, that's not what the founders intended. I'm like, well, the founders, you know, Thomas Jefferson apparently intended to free his uh, the enslaved people, but never did. Right, but like that's not the the narrative that I was given, even in high school, uh, in a in a city in a, one of the best public high schools in the New York City, was. Uh, you know, the way we taught, were taught about history and was like, well, you know, the three-fifths compromise, which is the compromise of saying that these human bodies only count for three-fifths when you're talking about representation in government. Like, I say that out loud now, and that's bonkers, but it was presented as like, well, you know, of course, like, what else were they going to do? You just, you just have to compromise, and that's, you got to take the moderate way and consensus, and, you know, you start to really start to read and listen and think about that as you grow up, and like, why was it okay to compromise on the backs of people's bodies? Right on, on why why was compromise on humanity okay? Why is civility considered better than speaking up when there's injustice? And I can unpack that even in the Asian American capacity, like the gender lens of like you know I, I still like in the time in the back of my brain still have sometimes my mom saying don't make a scene, don't make a fuss, like you know that's not proper. Be you know the respect. Is that, is that what your is that what your parents were telling you? Is that your parents were telling you? Oh yeah, so my parents came out of an authoritarian environment and they were like, we, we, we're we here to survive and do better. We're educated, but we also know that we were a colonized people, right? So my parents very much are aware of the, the Anglo colonizer and what that does to identity. And so that's part of why like, we're gonna make sure you understand the language so you can always access that thing and you go figure out everything else. And I, I, I appreciate that. And they, they gave me a sense of, I can call on some, I can call on my people if I want to be like that, the sense of tribe in the good way, but then fast forward, that tribe can also be negative, right? Because if you limit your tribe to people who only have the same skin color, as opposed to people who think about the world the same way, uh, I think that's where you start to find those challenges that come up. Now, I see a lot of people who have my skin tone walk around America making a choice of which side of the color line they want to be on. And I've, I've made a choice. Um, right. I, so, I, so, I so, so pause for a second for people who don't know you. Mm-hmm. Um, Nayara Huck is here. Uh, and I, and I, I, you know, 866-801-8255, I want to give out the number because for me sitting here every day is about bridging gaps and having conversations with people in a different way right and this is the other problem i find with cable outlet is it's talking at it's talking points is wwe it's not conversation around common ground and how do we figure these very difficult these are difficult uh conversations that we're having it's not just about black and white and because even within the black community is anti-blackness we had this conversation yesterday about cashier black women cashiers and whether or not they are disrespectful to black men and and you know it's it's an interesting conundrum as i watch you know the fight that happened at disney which i'm not going to talk about and and at the you know different places you know you want to have a conversation but not in mixed company because they're already tropes and it's complicated it's nuanced Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we talk about folk from the Caribbean or from Africa, or from the Dominican Republic or whatever, and they don't identify with blackness necessarily, I understand it. But the world sees us all the same. Like you could walk down the street. People might think you're Latin American or, you know, that you may speak Spanish or you may be, you know, from the Middle East or, you know, you, you can you you may get a lot of different things coming at you. But you're I other. You. You're yeah. other, though. Other. You're other. I appreciate you made the distinction, too, of, of, of mentioning Middle East because, you know, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, you know, what we call the subcontinent of South Asia is a billion people, right? So I grew up knowing that, okay, well, we're a Punjabi family from Lahore. That's what this means. You know, we're like these people over here, but oh, no, no, we're not like those people up in the North, the Pashtuns, they have all these stereotypes about them. And, and like, you see that, and then you come over here uh, and I'm like, okay, so we all Asian American. Okay, got it. Okay. No, cool. not even because you, cool. when we, when we say Asian, we think, Chinese and everybody thinks Korean, Japanese, and Chinese people are all the same. Like they, but, they but all in, in, like, in the government box for so long, like a billion people, and you know the the fewer number obviously that are here in the United States, were, were counted as either you check the white box or now you can check a API. And the irony is, if, if you're in the there's so many more people who are of my ancestry in London, in the United Kingdom, uh, to the point where right there, they're mayors, they are uh, cabinet officials, like it's just not a big deal anymore. Those barriers have been broken. And over there, when people say Asian, when British say Asian, they mean me. They don't mean Chinese or Japanese British. They actually call them Japanese or Chinese. So it's also this awareness of your place in the world. Now, again, if you're a tiny island country that decided to colonize half the world, I would hope that you would have more of an awareness of that. But I, I do find that funny. And, and the idea of, that's why I call it colorism. Like it, it absolutely is a thing that exists elsewhere in the world. And in South Asia is deeply, deeply rooted uh, and racist against people of darker skins. I mean, that is just the reality. And so navigating that and understanding, figuring out like, okay, well, you're gonna go through the world, who are you, who are, who are you gonna, who are you gonna ally with? Who are you gonna call your people? And so when you ask like, who are your people? I'm like, I, it, it's people who think in that global way, but also recognize that the system has been gamed against a lot of us. And that the only way we're gonna break that system is if we find the places where we can ally and that we have cultural literacy. Like, I think it is for any American, you should have an understanding. You can't co-opt it, but you need to understand what Black culture is. Like, that's part of, you know, being aware of American culture and, and vice versa. So I, I I guess the joy is in the journey. That's where I ended up landing. But I, I think about this all the time, Karen, because I have two kids. <laughs> right, so let's talk about that. Um, 866-801-8255. We have a few callers. I'm going to get to y'all in a second. Uh, Nayara huck is here um now today uh this uh, today yes um india elected a dark-skinned woman as its next president i'm so confused i'm so confused uh she seems like an amazing human being but i don't know enough about the history uh of of drupadi murmu i, I hope i'm saying that right she crossed the 50 percent mark to be elected she's the second woman of course indira gandhi was the first she will be india's 15th president she's a she's darker than i am you're lighter than i am in the in the realm of colorism are you could you you couldn't pass for white to me you couldn't pass to me but white people can't tell because white's a made-up construct y'all got white white people y'all who identify as white there's a whole lot of white people that got black people in their fi family tree when you shake it 
whole lot. Some of them are your favorite um, races because that's one of the things, you know, you hate yourself so much that you, um, where, where do you see yourself? And, and what happened in your household when you brought a black man home and married him? What happened? You know what I love that black people know to ask that question and liberal white people are just kind of like, what? Wait, what do you mean that was an issue? I'm like, of course, come on. Are you not living in America, the same America the rest of us are living in? Um, I think immigrants definitely come in and they look around the landscape and they assess and they see where power is and where power isn't, right? Um, and, and that's kind of where I've landed of like how that gets baked in from the jump uh, beyond just the color of your skin, right? Like it's like they see and they know that police are treat black people driving differently, right? Um, and I think many people of maybe older generation, younger generation, I mean, the if you look at the, the history of the Chinese exclusion and even how Indian Americans first came here, people were they just isolated in communities, right? They're like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the economic dream part, but I can't like this, the rest of the society doesn't really have a place for me. Uh, and in an American way. So just, I'm, I'm going to opt out. So I, I think my parents did that to some degree because they, the bulk of their friends were Pakistani American. They had a common language. They may not have had common interests uh, or a common perspective about the world, but they, they were there for each other, right? When, when things were going wrong, when they needed to help with children or with networks or uh, any of that stuff. Um, so I do see myself as a natural conclusion of, you know, you have educated, radical thought children, like, what do you think is going to happen growing up in America? Right. Uh, but it was it was rough. It was rough. And I knew that this was not a fight for my husband. So, yeah, my husband is black, um, black American. We are both Muslim and we were both born Muslim. That faith is important to both of us. And that's definitely a big part of our worldview. And so that was a common bond that we had. We somehow think about the world the same way too, but it was absolutely, I was like, this is, this is, this is for me to fight and this is not for him. And I, I did a lot to, I, I'm sure he suspected, but I, I did a lot. And it really was like, you know what? The door is open. You want to show up to my wedding? That's great. I would love for you to be there. Was uh, there, gonna... was there an op was there a possibility that they would not show up? Oh God. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. so the thought was you are, cause I, I know folk like JLo was stepping dating. out of the tribe. You were stepping out of the tribe and you are, and this was, this was the really, I think the heartbreaking part was like, it, it was a very paternal, like a, we as elders, let us tell you about society. You don't understand. I remember my mom saying, and she may not have been wrong. Maybe the, the, the consequence, the action that she would have preferred was different, but like, the, the truth of what she said, she's like, don't think racism has been solved in America just because Obama got elected. Your mother was right. <laughs> I met my husband after the Obama campaign. I was on the Obama campaign. And I was okay. like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I know that. Like, what do you mean? But she doesn't like, want you to suffer. She was like, where, where are your kids going to belong? Are they going to belong? Will black people accept them? Will, 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 I should like Pakistani Americans, will they accept them? I'm like, you know what? They will figure it out and we will figure it out. Now, can you can tell there's obviously a lot of hope and optimism and I was younger. I still think that's true. And that has to be true because uh, I don't want to live in a world in which that isn't true. But it, it's right like that idea of like acknowledging that you know how society works. You want what's best for your children. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of black families who are like also like don't marry white. Don't ma marry outside of the culture because you're setting yourself up for pain. And our story was that my husband separately and me separately had tried 
be prioritizing ethnicity and race first. And based on life circumstances, it didn't work, right? So it's it's also like who you meet and when you meet them and where you find love and where you find that connection. So it, it is, it can be a sappy story. It can be a painful story, but it is, it just is. And I do spend a lot of time and I thinking about making sure my children know who their people are mm -hmm. and have access to that so that when they need it, they know who their people are. And that means they have to give of that too. I, I genuinely like terrified about the idea that my son will just say, yeah, my dad's black. I'm like, mm, no, that's not good enough because I need, I want them to own and have ownership in that. And, and this is the wonderful thing about black communities. I think immigrant communities have a lot to learn from that, but the ability to embrace people who are mixed race and, and not reject them the way other cultures would do that. So I, I think, um, Nayar, black people understand the myth of race more than anyone else because we were brought here, bred, uh, mm -hmm. became mulattoes and octoroons and all of these other variations of humanity uh, for commerce. So the the notion of the one drop rule, which is the you know that that created uh, a a system where Loving versus Virginia was necessary because you if you were one thirty second black you were black. I mean it's it's preposterous because like we white. are right right but but there's no such thing as white so we under we inherently understand that so to me everybody's black so if we just did that then what you gonna do? Now we got to fight over and other things. An, it's like, if you have an issue with that, why do you have an issue with that? Right. What's your, what's, what's wrong with, then what's wrong with being black? Right. Mm -hmm. My, uh, the other thing my mom, I said, I was like, we have, she's like, what do you got? She's like, what, what, what ties you guys together? I said, faith, a shared faith. And I said, you don't understand right now in this moment and where we are, the idea that you were an oppressed religious minority in India and created a new life for yourself in this country of Pakistan, like, there is that understanding of like what it means to be colonized people, what it means to have to recover from that trauma and, and the idea of partition and what that did to an entire continent of 1 billion people is not something that's really comes up in American culture, like briefly in American history, but it's always, it is very much in the back of our elders' minds. And as like, that's, that's a thing like that's actually like overcoming that trauma of oppression is a thing that like yes of course like like we this is what i would say we, we think about the world in similar ways now I, I talk a hell of a lot more than he does uh and he's a science guy and i'm like that person who's like into social change and all of that um but it works i i, I don't think it's for everybody like you, you really like it's not like you really have to go it's 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 pheromones and uh, sex appeal, and that's the, like that should have I mean, been. Well, your husband's sexy. So just yeah, he's sexy, mom. Get over it. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. I had a guest, um, a actually one of my co-hosts. You know, we were talking about Miss Marvel. Speaking of the partition, because um, I learned about the partition on Disney three weeks ago. That's when I. It wasn't taught in my Catholic schools growing up. They didn't care to teach that. Um, but I um, I was like, wow, I didn't realize. And so he's like, well, I can't watch that because Pakistanis hate hate black black people. And I was like, so you're going to say a billion people out of a billion people? Like every Pakistani I know, I rock with them. They rock with me. I don't have a problem with it. But, you know, it's anecdotal. And he's like, I dated a girl and her, her family 
but the the hatred is not hatred as much as it is fear. As much fear as you would see in the LGBTQ community, I think people aren't homophobic with their children as much as they are afraid that this world will be cruel to their children and no one wants their children to suffer. So you are going to be doubling down on the nasty to maybe evoke fear in them to not be gay or evoke fear in them to not go outside of their race to marry because outside of your race, there's no protection. And I know that this world, they shoot black men in the back. I don't want you to have a child that that can happen to, and I don't want you to be ostracized in society for your choices. So I'm going to double down and talk bad about black people so that you will not do this. Whether you speak Spanish, whether you speak Urdu, whether you speak Hindi, I don't want you over there because this world is cruel to these black people. And I want none of that for my children. How we can get that fear to be recognized and not internalizes it, you know, or as and not metastasizes anti-blackness and hatred. I don't know. That's where the work has to come, where we can acknowledge the fear. You're you're afraid. You're afraid, and that's fine. That's fine. You everybody wants the best for their children, but don't turn that fear into to hatred and ostracization of other people. And it does. Um, that was we had we had gone to in, in this you know this couple of years before we got married. We, we had gone to see. Um, you know, an imam and talk about this. And, and I was like, listen, like, this is literally like, this is the principles of Islam, like, like Malcolm X, you know, was a Muslim and like what, what the experience of being at Hajj did for him. And just, this is a, you know, it's a very strong tradition in black communities, but also drawing on the, what the scripture is and, and what you're supposed to. So I could see my parents really struggling, right? Like I could see them being like, well, this is what I'm supposed to believe, but then this is my fear and it's not. And it, and this was really hard for me. Cause I, I will like tell people, I, I was, I was on it. And my husband, it was a very like calm, methodical person in that way. And I remember we were sitting there with the imam. The imam said, you're not going to convince them with logic. You're going to convince them by leading with your heart. Recognize they are afraid. Do what you need to do. But just, just see if you can lead with compassion. And that's hard. I wouldn't do that for a stranger on the street. I did that for my parents. It did pay dividends. I think they they ended up not only showing up, they paid for the wedding. They've embraced my <laughs> this and that, like all of that. Now, mind you, that was two months before I was the wedding date, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, it was it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot. And I we we married ten years now uh, last month, and we looked back and we're like, we, we, oh, that like feels like a lifetime. So again, it, it's. It, it comes down to that one-on-one. I don't think that's the systemic solution, right? Like I'm not sitting here, like the idea of that, that judge who embraced the uh, Kim Potter who shot, I mean, I'm like, no, that that is not this, at the systemic level. <laughs> I think we need to, yeah, I, I ain't for that kind of civility, but that is how you make change in a family, right? Yeah. And, and, but it's, it's hard. There you go. Jane Elliott says we should all, um, marry, all white people should marry. Uh, outside their race and that will help uh we'll see whatever outside their race means 866-801-8255 nair will you stick around please will you stick around okay and i want to talk about miss marvel and i want to know what they got wrong uh if you watched it did you watch it i did okay all right i want to know what they got wrong and what you're most proud of because i believe much like black panther gave us this uh source of pride every black person everywhere were wakanda forever walking around with their chests out because for the first time to see what not being colonized could possibly look like uh, you know even in fiction 
was liberating on so many levels. I don't, I'm not sure, you know, how Miss Marvel worked for you, but for me, it was, you know, I was very impressed with what I learned. And this is what art should do, should bring us together. Nayara Huck is here. Okay, so first off, I just want to say, I get it. You get what? High school. Kamala. Kamala. Another adventure shirt. Cute. She thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. You were a weirdo. Boys. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of on my shirt. Sorry. Yeah, that's a little bit of the trailer from Ms. Marvel. Kamala. No, Kamala. See, it's interesting. We have a vice president named Kamala. And then Ms. Marvel is Kamala. I was like, okay, I don't even know what that all means. Welcome back to the Karen Hunter Show, but we're going to talk about it with Nayara Huck. She is here. Um, before we do that, though, uh, President Joe Biden has COVID. They say it's mild. There's pictures of him at the, uh, I guess, in the Oval Office at the desk, looking with the, you know, looking spry, as spry as you can at 78, 9. Um, are you concerned? You know, because I know you do a lot of political commentary about not the health of Joe Biden. I think, he, you know, he's boosted probably many times over. He's fine. If Trump could survive with all his underlying conditions and fat and everything, Biden's going to be fine. Um, are you concerned about his viability as mm. as a, you know, I know a lot of people are looking ahead to 2024. I'm not. We need to win 2022. And by we, I mean human beings. Humanity needs to win. I'm not getting caught up in political parties. I'm saying right now there's one party that is absolutely against everything sensible and sane. So we're going to double down and make sure the Senate and the House are, are hopefully locked in to the Democrats. But 2024, I think, could be problematic with mm-hmm. Biden at the helm. I, I don't believe in the opting out. I mean, these are binary choices, right? Like you got this one or you got that one. Facts. Pick. That's what you get. That's it. It's a binary choice. It's not, none of none of this is ideal, and we can struggle and work and fight for that to get that to the better place. But in the meantime, this is the choice we have right now. And I, I really don't like the lesser of two evils analogy because I'm like, no, actually, one is actually doing evil to people, and one is just doesn't really kind of know what they're doing right now. Like that's so that's where I come from from this. Within that, I. I, as somebody who came up working in public politics from intern to staff for Capitol Hill, dozens of races, I was a diplomat overseas, I have, have been like that feeling of apathy and this is, this is so bad, right? Like the, the motivation, if I'm having trouble with motivation, then it's a much bigger problem for this generation than I think the power structures that get up after Roe v. Wade gets overturned and say, go vote. Right, like so, like there needs to be something in between. Go vote, and this is the values. This is this is like we're in a fight for our country and our identity and our bodies. Like that message needs to be double, triple, quadruple down on. And I have not heard that necessarily from Biden. You hear it elsewhere from all these other people in the Democratic Party. Uh, but to me, it is a generational struggle, communication struggle, and I, I don't know. I, I genuinely do not know what's going to happen in uh, November. I'm not, I, I hate the, the, this is how I think the races are going to go. But I, I can see from ad buys, from marketing, uh, and, and just even from mobilization that, that um, 
the at the national level, the power and anger of women, of, of black people, of young people is is can be turned into a motivator as opposed to right now, which is that we're teetering between angry and depressed and that that's that benefits right like that that voter suppression narrative absolutely benefits a GOP mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um hmm, I don't I don't know either uh I'm usually good with prognosticating uh you know Negro Damas well, like call if, me Trump, if Trump decides to show up and then you've got two octogenarian old dudes at the helm I'm like White okay well old dudes yeah. yeah. Uh, Biden wins up against Trump, I think. That said, what's a victory? Because to your point, what we need right now is a national identity. And the national mm-hmm. identity right now, uh, I'm not quite sure what that is. And even sitting here as an American citizen with an American passport, I don't know what it means to be an American. I'm not sure if a country founded in genocide and in, in enslaving human beings and de- then dehumanizing and demeaning and, and raping and sterilizing and all of the things, those same human beings, I don't know how we build from there without first eradicating the foundational uh, trauma. I don't know how Mm -hmm. we do that. And I don't know, I I know for a fact, Biden can't usher in the healing. He doesn't have it in him. He's, he's part of that system. I mean, hell he's presided over Clarence Thomas being, you know, put on the Supreme court, you know, I, he was the head of, he's still still giving Mitch McConnell like a job. He just gave Mitch McConnell a judge in Kentucky. Well, he don't, well no, he, he backed off from that because the the judge, the pro the pro uh, abort the anti abortion judge, uh, after people were like, What the hell? You know, but this, still right, trying that, to compromise. That the, that's the movement, like like the when the activism, the movement, that actually works. But we had spent like my generation thinking that so many of these things were settled. Like the idea, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to fight for birth control now? Oh, okay, got it. That's what's happening. And so that that idea of like, you know, wake up. This has been stewing and brewing for some time. People haven't been paying attention. Like now is the time to pay attention. This is this is a generational fight and it will be playing out in, in these next two elections. Facts. All right, we are here. Um, Nara, watching um, Ms. Marvel, and I would, you know, I'm just letting everybody know, I hope you come back because uh, I want to continue to have uh, conversations with you. I think you know a lot and you're really smart. I'm not being, uh, I'm not, I'm Captain Obvious. You can call me Captain Obvious. I appreciate that. Uh, what, watching that for you as a child of Pakistani immigrants and having children now, do your children speak Urdu? A little bit. I'm failing on that front. Like my husband's not going to do that. But you know what? Like grandma shows up my mom shows up and starts talking in English. I'm like, don't get on my case. What are you doing over here? So that, that is, that's a whole nother thing. But um, it was even prior to Ms. Marvel, I, I was watching Encanto with my kids. And there was a moment in that Disney movie where it is, you know, they're, they're all Colombian, but they show the spectrum of what Colombians can look like. And it's the little boy is about to go up to get his gift. And the little boy has like you no know, medium tone skin, curly hair. His dad is darker tone. The mom is like really fair skinned. And I literally, I saw that moment and I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? What's happening? Like, what, what am I crying? I'm like, oh, that's my family. Like the family that I've created, not the family I came from, but the family I've created, that's it right there. And I, I hadn't seen that in, I mean, I've seen it all around me, but I hadn't seen that in a corporate like Disney movie. And that, it was powerful. And I was surprised how powerful that was, right? Cause I, I didn't expect 
I didn't expect to see it. I didn't expect, I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm, I can be cynical too. And so Ms. Marvel comes around. I had read the original comic books. I definitely enjoyed them. And so part of me was, how are they going to translate the comic book? Are they going to keep true to what made it work? And most of these comic books have always, they, comic books in general have been at the front end of having conversations that are relevant for young people, right? Like they're, you know, gay characters, mixed race, different ethnicities, and, like, and, and what it looks like to have power, right? The so much about comic books was that escape for younger people to find in comic books what they couldn't find in society around them. So fast forward to now, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the next iteration. And I start watching it. And it's so many feels like just I'm still unpacking the feels because I didn't realize how powerful it is. And I talk all the time about representation in media and what that means. And it's still to have it be people somewhat like me and my family, obviously differences, but I know those people, if they weren't my family, I grew up around that, right? Like I, the songs, the, the way, just the way the wedding tables were set and how over the top South Asian, specifically Pakistani weddings. And the fact that the clothes were Pakistani of a particular type, they were not Indian, which like so much can be blended and confused. Like it was actually very culturally specific. Um, I, I knew the family. I knew the family. I knew I knew the struggle of her trying to figure out what her faith in American life post 9-11, what that means. Now, I've had see, I've seen people complain, they're like, well, you know, my, you know, my dad doesn't speak with that kind of accent. I'm like, I get it. That is, a, you know, her family is a, is a very particular family from a particular dynamic of class, education, all of those intersections. But it was it was there like we had it to relate to and react to and I, I just I haven't had that experience and to have that now in my 40s I'm like wow I can only imagine what that's like for another generation coming up even younger where they just take it for granted and I, I think I think that's awesome but the, the music truly truly on point for what is what is culturally relevant and what was cool and 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 you know for each of those moments and I like the cultural like the brown jovi which is a nod to bond you know it's like we are in a space where cultures collide and you absorb and then you make it your own, you remix, you, you know, I love that her brother married a sister, a sister, you know, which to your point, you know, your husband is a representation in reverse of that, right? A black man uh, who's also a Muslim and you, I, I like the possibilities and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. I'm very, very optimistic uh, about this next generation coming up, despite the 20 something year old white nationalists who have been radicalized, but we could talk about that next time you come on. Uh, you will come back, please. Thank you, Karen. And thank you for giving me the space to just, you know, talk about life like this. Always. This is an open, open format here. You will be back. You have a seat at our table. You're part of our family. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they hear you? Quickly. Oh, so I uh, spend a lot of time on SiriusXM Progress. I host a weekly show called The Global Experience. You can also find it on demand. And we take the issues happening here politically, culturally, socially. We find examples of other countries and how they're dealing with it. And we just have really smart conversations, but it, it connects us as part of a global community. So that's airs on Saturdays and Sundays on, on uh, the other channel on Progress um, on, at 11 a.m. So you can check that out. And of course, please do hit me up uh, for now. My DMs are open for conversation and it's at Nayaror. And if you want to hit up whoever has Nayara and tell her to give up the handle, feel free to do that. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Nayara.